0: Clays Arc by Octavia Butler, read by Fleabag Anus.
1: Past fifteen. Now Eli would become an active criminal as well as the carrier of a disease. Now, with the man, with now with the help of Lorene and Mida, he would abduct a man. He would take Mida's father's Ford and go to what was left of the old U.S. ninety-five. Mida new 95 from State Highway 62 to Interstate 40. It was desolate country, she said. No towns, almost no private haulers even on the road. Just a few daredevil sightseers taking their chances among the bike packs and the car families and a few well-armed individualistic ranchers. Eli worried about taking Mida along. She was four months pregnant and he worried about both her and the child. She was not an easy woman to become attached to, but the attachment had happened. Now he could not lose her. He could not lose her. Mida had always been physically strong, had taken pride in being able to match her brothers at hard work and hard play. Now the disease had made her even stronger and her new strength had made her overconfident. She would not, she told Eli, sit at home trembling and wondering whether her child's father had survived. She intended to see that he survived, and he thought maybe get herself killed in the process. Eli swung from anger to amusement to secret gratitude for her concern. There were still bad times with her, times when she cursed him and mourned her family. But these times came less frequently. Both the disease organism and the child inside her were driving her towards him. Perhaps she had even begun to forgive him a little bit. Now she helped him plan. You can hide here, she said, using an old paper auto club map. There's a junction. A dirt road runs into 95. There are some hills. All four of them sat clustered at one end of the large dining room table. Lorene, who was to have the new man if he lived. Gwyn, who was already pregnant again and in less immediate need of a man of her own. Mida, and Eli. Covertly, Eli watched Gwyn, saw that she seemed at ease and interested in the new map. A few weeks before, she would have torn the yellowed paper in her eagerness to take part and get a man for herself. Now, pregnant by Eli, she was more content. The organism had turned them all into breeding animals. ''What do you think?'' Mida asked him. He looked at the map. ''Damn lonely stretch of road,'' he said. ''Anyone working here?'' He pointed to a quarry that should have been marked, that should have been nearby. Mida shook her head. Too dangerous, she said. What this highway really is at this point is just a sewer. From what I heard about city sewers, the only reason they're worse is because they have more sewer rats. But the gangs here is just as dangerous, and the haulers, body part dealers, arm smugglers, that kind. The few holdout ranches are dangerous too. If they don't know you, they just shoot you on sight. Dangerous, Eli said, and close. Too close to us here. I used to see lights from 95 when I went out at night. When he went out to kill and eat chickens to supplement Mita's mother's idea of three good meals. That's what he meant. He continued. I think I saw lights from State Highway 62 too. If we accidentally catch anyone important, I don't want search parties coming right to us. Mita gave a short bitter laugh. People disappear out here all the time, Eli. It's expected, and nobody's important enough these days to search this country for. Eli glanced up from the map and smiled. I am, he said, or I would have been if anyone knew I was alive. Come on, she said, irritated. You know what I mean. Yeah, he said. I hear bike gangs and car families can be damn vindictive, though, if they think that you've hurt one of theirs. Let's go up to I-40. If things are bad there, we could even go on to I-15. That far, Mida said. Fuel, Eli. No problem. We'll just take the Ford. With its twin tanks, it can go just about anywhere within reason and come back without a fill-up. And there are more people on 40 and 15, Lorene said. Real people, not just sewer rats. I could get an honest hauler or a farmer or a city man. She sounded like a child, listing Christmas possibilities. In a moment, Eli would have to make her hear herself. Left on her own, she could do a lot of harm before she realised what was happening to her. The Ford's been to Victorville and back without fuel problems, Gwynne said lazily. She was from Victorville, Eli knew. Christian had met her there, where she had worked with her brothers at their, their mother's roadside station. She shrugged. I don't think we'll have a fuel problem. Mida looked at her, strangely, probably because of her lazy tone, and then spoke to Eli. I assume you want to use 95 for going and coming. Eli said, We can use it for going, if you think it's worth a detour. She said. She shook her head. Car families set up roadblocks. Armoured tour buses and private haulers just bull their way through, but cars get caught, especially one car alone. <laughs> we'll use this network of dirt roads then. I like them better anyway. You know the best ones? She nodded. In good weather, some of them are smoother than 95 anyway. And the dirt roads will give the captives idea that they are more isolated than they are, said Eli. They won't be able to prowl around and find out the truth the way I did until they've made it through the crisis period. After that, they won't care. Are you sure they won't? Mila asked. I mean, this is our home, but some stranger. This will be his home. Lorene giggled. I'll make him feel at home. You just catch him for me. Eli turned to look at her. You know, she said, still laughing. This is the kind of thing you always read about men doing to women, kidnapping them, then the woman getting to like the idea. I think I'm going to really enjoy reversing things. Silence. Mida and Gwynne sat staring at Lorene, clearly repelled. We won't touch him, Eli told Lorene. We'll leave it to you to give him the disease. Lorene's smile vanished. She looked from Mida and Gwynne to Eli. ''He might die on you,'' Eli continued. ''If he does, we'll get you another one.'' She frowned as if she did not understand. ''We'll get you as many as necessary,'' he said. ''You don't have any right to make me feel guilty,'' she whispered. Her voice rose abruptly. ''This is all your fault, my husband.'' Remember him, Eli said. Remember how it felt to lose him. Chances are you'll be taking someone else's husband soon. You have no right, Lorene said. No, I don't, Eli said. But then there isn't anyone else going to say these things to you. And you have to hear them. You have to understand what you are, why you feel what you feel. It's because you killed... No, listen, Loree. It's because you're the host, the vehicle of an extraterrestrial organism. It's because that organism needs new hosts, new vehicles. You need to infect a man and have children, and you won't get any peace until you do. I understand that. God knows I understand that. The organism is a damn deficient invader. Five people died because I couldn't fight it. Now it's possible that at least one person will die because you can't fight it. No, Lorene whispered, shaking her head. It's something we can't forget or ignore, Eli continued. We've lost part of our humanity. We can lose more without even realising it. All we need to do is forget what we carry and what it needs. He paused. She had turned away and he waited until she faced him again. So we'll get you a man, he said, and we'll turn him over to you. You'll give him the disease and you'll care for him. And if he dies, you'll bury him. Lorraine got up and stumbled out of the room.
0: Present 16 When Blake and Meda had gone, when Ingraham had led Rain away, Eli and Kira sat alone on the large dining table. Kira looked across at Eli bleakly. My sister, she whispered. Rain had looked so frozen when Ingraham left her out, so terrified. She'll be all right," Eli said. She's tough. Kira shook her head. People think that. She needs to have them think that. He smiled. I know. I should have said she's strong. Maybe stronger than she even knows. A woman cry- carrying a crying child of about three years came into the house. The child, Kira could see, was a little girl wearing only underpants. She had a beautiful face and a dark, shaggy head of hair. There was something wrong with the way she sat on the woman's arm, though, something that Kira couldn't help noticing, yet could not quite identify.
1: <clears throat>
0: the woman smiled wearily at Eli. red room, she said, he nodded. The woman stared at Kira for a moment. Kira thought she stared hungrily when she'd gone into a room off the living room and shut the door sliding door shut the long sliding door Kira first Eli what's going on she said tell me she looked at her hungry he looked at her hungrily too but then leaned back in his chair and told her no more hints no more delays when he finished she asked questions and he answered them at one point the woman and the child came out of the red room and Eli called them to her Lorene Bring Zira over. I want you to both meet Kerry. The woman, blonde and thin, came over with her hungry eyes and her strange child. She looked at Kira and then at Eli. Why is there still a table between you two? She asked. I'll bet there's no table between that guy and Mida. Is that what I called you over here for? He asked, annoyed. Don't you want to brag about your kid a little? Lorene faced Kira almost hostilely. Kira and the child had been staring at each other. Kira roused herself, met Lorene's suspicious eyes. I'd like to see her. You see her, Lorene said. She's no freak. She's supposed to be this way. They're all this way. I know, Kira said. Eli has told me. She's beautiful. Lorene put her daughter on the table and the child immediately sat down, cat-like, arms braced against the floor. Lurine put her daughter on the table and the child immediately sat down, cat-like, arms braced against the floor. Stand up, Lurine said, pushing at the little girl's hindquarters. Let the lady see you. No, Zira said firmly. To Kira, that proved something about her was normal. Before Kira's illness, she'd been called on to take care of little tuckler cousins, who sometimes seemed not to know any other word. Then Zira did get up, and in a single fluid motion, she launched herself at Eli. He seemed to pluck her out of the air, laughing as he caught her. Little girl, I'm going to miss someday. You're going to get faster and faster. What would happen if you did miss? Kira asked. She wouldn't hurt herself, would she? No, Eli said. She'd be okay. Lands on her feet like a cat. Lorene does miss sometimes. I never miss, Lorene said offended. I just step aside sometimes. I'm not always in the mood to be jumped on. Eli put Zira back on the table and this time she walked a few steps, leapt off the table and stood beside Lorene. Kira smiled, enjoying this child's smooth, cat-like way of moving. Then she frowned. A kid that age should be kind of clumsy and weak. How can she be so coordinated? We've talked about that, Eli said. They do go through a clumsy period, of course. Last year, Z fell down all the time. But if you think she's agile now, you should see Jacob, he's four. What would they be like when they're adults? We don't know, Lorene said softly. Maybe they peep early, or maybe they're going to be as fast as cheetahs someday. Sometimes we're afraid for them. Kira nodded, looked at the child. She was perfect, a perfect, lean, little four-legged thing with shaggy, uncombed hair and a beautiful little face. A baby sphinx, Kira said, smiling. Think you could handle having one like this someday? Kira glanced at her, smiled sadly, and then turned back to Zira. I think I could handle it, she said. Zira took a few steps towards her. Kira knew that if the child scratched or bit her, she would get the disease. Yet yeah, she could not feel herself, bring herself to feel afraid. The child was as strange a stranger being as Kira had ever seen, but she was a child. Kira reached out to her, but Zira drew back. Hey, Kira said softly. What do you have to be afraid of? She smiled. Come here. A little girl mirrored the smile tentatively, edged towards Kira again. She was a little cat, not sure if it should trust the strange hand. She even sniffed without getting close enough to touch. Do I smell good? Kira asked. Meat, the child said loudly. Startled, Kira drew back. She expected to be scratched or bitten eventually, but she did not want to have to shake Zira off her fingers. Anything as sleek and cat-like as this child would probably have sharp teeth. Zee, Lorraine said, don't bite. Zero looked back at her and grinned, then faced Kira. I don't bite, she said. Their teeth did look sharp, but Kira decided to trust her. She started to reach out again, this time to lift the child into her lap, but Eli spoke up. Kerry. She looked across the table at him. No. His voice made her think of a warning rattle. She drew back, not frightened, but wondering what was wrong with him. Lorene seemed angry. She picked up Zero and faced Eli. ''What kind of game are you playing?'' she demanded. ''What's the kid here for? Decoration?'' Eli looked up at her. ''Don't give me that look. Go do whatever you're supposed to do. Then you can take care of her. If she doesn't make it, you can.'' Eli was back on his feet, inches from her, looming over her. Kira held her breath. Certain he would hit the woman and perhaps by accident hurt the child. Luin stood her ground. ''You're soaking wet,'' she said calmly. ''You're putting yourself through this hell. Why?'' to stag. He touched Lorene's face then Jira's shaggy head. You, teal, you two get the hell out of here, will you? What is it? Lorene insisted. Leukemia, Eli said. There was silence for a moment, then Lorene sighed. Oh. She shook her head. Oh shit. She turned and walked away. When she had gone through the front door, Kira spoke to Eli. What are you going to do? She asked. He said nothing. If you touch me, she said, how soon will I die? It isn't touch, said. I know, Kira said, I mean, you might live, Eli said, you don't think so. More silence. I'm not afraid, she said, I don't know why I'm not, but you should have let me play with Zira, she wouldn't have known and Maureen wouldn't have cared. Don't tell me what I ought to do, Eli said. Kira couldn't fear him, even when she wanted to. Is Zira your daughter? She asked. No. Eli said. She calls me daddy, though. Her father's dead. You have kids? She asked. Oh, yes. I always thought someday I'd like to, Kira. You've prepared yourself to die, haven't you? Eli said. She shrugged. Can anyone? Really? Eli said. I can't. To me, talking about it is like talking about the reality of elves and gnomes. He smiled wryly. If the organism was intelligent, I'd say it didn't believe in death. But it will kill me, Kira said. He got up, pushing his chair away angrily. Come on, he said. He led her into the hall and to a large bedroom. I'm going to lock you in. The windows are locked, but I guess even you could kick them out if you wanted to. If you do, don't expect any consideration from the people you meet outside. She only looked at him. Abruptly, he turned and left the room, slamming the door behind him. Kira lay down on the bed, feeling listless, not quite in pain, but unable to worry about Eli. His guilt, his the compulsion that would surely overcome him soon. Her body was warning her. If she did not get her medication soon, she'd feel worse. She closed her eyes, hoping to fall asleep. She had the beginnings of a, of a headache, or what it felt like to have the beginnings of one. Sometimes the dull, threatening discomfort could go on for hours without really turning into a headache. She rolled over away from the wet place her sweating body had made. Clay's ARC victims were not only people who could sweat profusely without heat. Her joints hurt when she moved. She had decided she was to be left alone for the night when Eli came in. She could see him vaguely outlined in the moonlight. Apparently he could see her much better. Fool, he said. Why didn't you tell me you felt bad? You've got medicine in the car, haven't you? Not caring whether he could see or not, she nodded. I thought so. Get up. Come show me where it is. She didn't feel like moving at all, but she got up and followed him out. In the dining room, she watched him pull on a pair of black, cloth-lined plastic gloves. Town gloves, he said. People take us for bikers in stores sometimes. I had a guy serve me once with a shotgun next to him. Damn fool. I could have had the gun any time I wanted it. And all the while I was protecting him from the disease. Why are you protecting me? she thought. But she said nothing. She followed him out to the car, which had been moved farther from the house. There, she showed him the compartment that contained her medicine. She had left it on the seat once, not thinking, and someone had clearly managed to smash into the car and to get it, no doubt hoping for drugs. They would have been disappointed. They might have got into her chemotherapy medicines and made her feel thoroughly sick. Where's your father's bag? Eli asked. She was startled, but hid her surprise. Why do you want it? He wants it. Mida says you're going to let him examine her. ''He wants it,'' Eli said. ''Mida says she's going to let him examine her.'' ''Why?'' ''He wants to. It gives him the feeling he's doing something significant, something familiar that he can control. ''Knowing Mida, I suspect he needs something like that right now.'' ''Can I see him?'' she asked. ''Later, maybe. Where's the bag?'' This time she couldn't help glancing towards the bag's compartment. It was only a tiny glance. She did not think he'd seen it, but he went straight to the compartment, located the hidden keyhole, stared at it for a moment, and then selected the right key on the first try. You never turn on any lights, Kira said. Does does the disease help you see in the dark? Yes. He He took the bag from its compartment. Take your medicine to your room, all of it. The bag won't work for you, she said. It's coded. Only my father can use it. He just smiled. She had to suppress an impulse to touch him. The feeling surprised her and she stood looking at him until he turned abruptly and strode away. She watched him, realising he may have felt as bad as she did. His smile had dissolved into a pinched, half-starved look before he turned away. She stood where he was, first looking at him, after him, then looking up at the clear black sky with its vast spray of stars. The daylight sky at night was fascinating and calming to her. She knew she should follow Eli, but she stayed. Wondering which of the countless stars was Proxima Centauri, or rather, which was Alpha Centauri. She knew that Proxima could not be seen separately without the unaided eye. A red star whose light, a little girl born on Earth, longed for. Hi, a child's voice said from somewhere nearby. Kira jumped, then looked around. At her feet stood a sphinx like body. Spence-like boy, somewhat larger than Zira. Daddy said you have to come in, the boy said. Is Eli your daddy? Yes, I'm Jacob. Does anyone call you Jake? Kira asked. Nope, said Jacob. Lucky boy, I'm Kira, and no matter what you hear anyone else say, okay? Okay, Jacob said. You have to come in. I'm coming, said Kira. The boy walked beside her companionably. You're nicer than the other one, she said. Other one? Like you, but not as brown. Rain, Kira asked. My sister? Is she your sister? Where is she? Where did you where did you see her? Kira asked. She didn't like me, Jacob said. Jacob, where did you see her? Do you like me? At the moment, Kira, Kira said. No, I don't like you. She stopped and she stooped to bring herself closer to eye level with him. Her joints did not much care for the gesture. Jacob, tell me where my sister is. You do like me, he said, but I think Daddy will get mad at me if I tell you. Damn right he will, Eli's voice, Eli's voice said. Kira looked up, saw him and stood up, wondering how anyone could move so silently in, in sand that crunched underfoot. The boy moved that way as well. Eli, why can't I know where my sister is, she asked. What's happening to her? Eli seemed to ignore her and spoke to his son. Hey, little boy, come on up here. He did not bend at all, but Jacob leapt into his arms. Then the boy turned to look at Kira. "You tell Kerry what his her sister was doing last night, the last time you saw her," Eli said. The boy frowned. Kira. Yes, tell her. You should tell Kira," the boy said. "That's what she likes." Do you, Eli asked her. Yes. Now, will you please tell me about rain? She was with Stephen," Jacob said. They looked at the cows and fed the chickens, and Stephen ate some stuff in the garden. Stephen jumped with her and she didn't like it. Jumped? Kira said. From some rocks, Jacob said. She liked him. Kira looked at Eli, questioning. Stephen Kaneshiro is our bachelor, Eli said, heading for the house again. Kira followed, automatically. He saw the two of you and asked about you. I aimed him at rain. And she likes him. I'd say so, Eli said. This kid reads people pretty clearly. Is she with him? She could have been, Eli said. Stephen said it was too soon for her, so she's alone. Carrie, she's all right, I promise you. Beyond infecting her, no one wants to hurt her. Kira, Jacob said into Eli's ear. Eli laughed. Yeah, he said. He at a little boy. You know it's time for you to go to bed. Past time. Mum already put me to bed, Jacob said. I figured I figured she had. What will it take you to get you to stay there? Jacob grinned and said nothing. <laughs> "'The kids are more nocturnal than we are,' Eli said. "'We try to adjust them more to our hours for their own protection. "'They don't realise the danger they're in when they roam around at night.' He held the door open for her, and she went in. "'There are bobcats in these mountains, aren't there?' she asked, "'and coyotes.' "'Jacob's in no danger from animals,' Eli said. "'His senses are keener than those of the big animals in his fast.' He's literally poisoned to most of the smaller ones, especially those that are supposed to be poisoned to him. No, it's the stray humans out there that I worry about. He stopped, looked at his son who was listening somberly. Kira, you take your medicine and then you go back to your room. There are some books in there if you want to read. I'm going to put this little one to bed. She obeyed, never thinking there might be anything else she could do. She caught herself feeling grateful to him for not hurting her not even forcing a disease on her, though she didn't know how long that could last. Then she realised that she was feeling gratitude to a man who had kidnapped her family. Her problem was she liked him. She wondered who Jacob's mother was. Mida? If so, why was Mida trying so hard, so obviously to get Blake Masley and her father into bed? Perhaps he was there now. No, Jacob's mother must be somewhere else. She sat staring at the cover of a battered old book, something from the 1960s, written even before the birth of her father. Is she last of his tribe, said the title. She had intended to read, but she had no concentration. Finally, Eli appeared again to take her to the, her father. That meeting was terrible. It forced her to remember that her liking for Eli could not matter. The fact that she was not afraid for herself could not matter. She had a duty to help her father and Rain to escape, and that terrified her. She did not underestimate the capacity of Eli's people to do harm. Her escape, her family's escape, would endanger their families. They would kill to prevent that. Or perhaps they would only injure her badly to keep her with them in agony. She had had enough of pain. But she had a duty. I shouldn't have let you see him, Eli said. She dumped. She'd been walking slowly back to her room, forgetting he was behind her. I wish she hadn't, she whispered. Then she realised what she'd said, and she was too ashamed to do anything but go into her room and try and shut the door. He wouldn't let the door shut. I thought it would be a kindness, she said, to both of you, and as though to explain, I liked the way you got along with Jacob and 0 They're good kids, but the reactions they get sometimes from new people. Kira knew about ugly reactions. Probably Jacob knew more, or would learn more, but walking down a city street between her mother and her father had taught her quite a bit. She reached out and took Eli's hands. She'd been wanting to do that for so long. The hands first pulled back from her but did not pull away. They were calloused, hard, very warm. How insane to expose herself to disease now she knew that she must at least try to escape. Yet she almost certainly already had it. Eli and her father had deluded themselves into believing otherwise, but she knew her own particular therapy and due sensitivity to infection. Her father knew it too, whether or not he chose to admit it. The hands closed in on her, on her hands, giving in finally, and in spite of everything, she smiled.